You're listening to the West Side Podcast, a part of the L.A. International Church of Christ Family of Churches, worshiping God in L.A. since 1989. Well, thanks, worship team. Welcome again to the West Side Church. Uh, welcome all the UCLA parents, all the college students that are here, everybody that's in. If you want to come in and grab a seat in the shade or on the floor, or if you like standing in the back, fine. Uh, we have a couple seats up front. It's like, ushers, let's get everybody seats, all right? We got people sitting. I want to have everybody, I don't want people sit standing in the back when you can sit. I'm going to go for like an hour and a half, so you'll really be tired. I'm just joking. Many of you were at the, uh, the UCLA game last night, and, um, I know it was painful for us. Uh, we lost that game, and we had a huge tailgate, and, you know, I had all the hope. I was like, the season's starting, and we started off strong, and then we beat LSU. I was at that game. I thought, this is going to be awesome as a UCLA fan, and then, you know, we lost to Fresno State, but then we beat Stanford at Stanford, which we hadn't done in a long time. Yeah, and then they beat Oregon, and then we lost yesterday. So, you know what? You know, you win a few, you lose a few, but the one thing I can say is our defense needs to get better. Things do not always go the way we want. And, you know, the title of today's sermon is uh, in line with our Built on Trust series. We've been doing a Built on Trust series, but how do you build trust? Well, you got to get better. So that's the title of today's sermon, Get Better. And I had that before UCLA lost, just so you know. And uh, I figured if they won, I would just, you know, could still work it in, that they've been getting better and that encourages all of us. But we all know we need to get better, and that is something that helps us build Trust with other people. Um, you know, one of the best ways for people to really see you um, as a trustworthy person is when you take responsibility and you change a little bit. And, you know, all of us need to be improving and getting better. I know last summer was a challenging summer. I know for the college students, you were still at home, right? You weren't on campus. And uh, I, I ran on uh, to a lot of uh, uh, students this past week, the first week of school at UCLA, and I ran into like a couple uh, seniors who said, I still feel like I'm a freshman because I haven't been on campus in so long. And I had to leave like right after the first couple, you know, semesters of being there. And so it was such a change. It's such a different environment. And uh, it's great to be back together on the campus. I know the students are fired up. We're all fired up about that. But we all had a tough year. And it, it's not over yet. There's still some challenges. I'm looking forward to the time when the, there's no more masks and, you know, there's a lot of safety and the health situation is improved and we don't have stories of people getting sick and, and things are, are really in a much healthier, safer place. It's look, I'm looking forward to that. What about you guys? It's going to be a good time. But I remember last summer uh, needing to get better at a number of things. I remember getting a phone call from a, a guy in our ministry, uh, Craig Aaron. And he called me right after there was the killing of Ahmaud Aubrey in a George. I don't know if you remember that last year. That was before George Floyd. And he called me and he's like, Steve, you know, can we say something about this? And I was like, yeah, what, what do I say? I, I, I wasn't sure. And, and then I listened to Craig, who's a person of color. He's like, it really it, it hurts me a lot to see this kind of stuff. And I remember just listening. And I realized, man, I have got to grow in my empathy. I've got to understand more what he's feeling. And as the year and the summer transpired, I, I immerse myself in books after book to understand the different issues that many people in our culture are facing, that people of color face. And I thought, we've got to go on a learning curve. I know I had to go on a learning curve. And when you do that, you know what happens? People begin to trust you. 
When they see you're willing to get better, trust is given. And as a congregation, we went through that deeply challenging time. But I think as a congregation, we grew. We got better. Wasn't it awesome uh, to hear last week our uh, Hispanic Heritage Sunday and have John Galvan come and preach and to see the video and the stories of our uh, people from Hispanic Heritage. And we believe deeply in highlighting diversity because God's people are diverse. And we need to embrace that diversity. That's what Jesus did. Amen. But we as people have to get better if we're going to build a trustworthy life and a trustworthy ministry. And so I hope today that you want to get better and are willing to get better. I went to, instead of go to the game last night, I had the privilege and honor of going to the celebration of life and memorial service for uh, Terry Adame. She is a hero in the faith in our fellowship of churches, uh, had been leading the San Diego church with her husband, Guillermo, and just a tremendous impact she'd had all over the world. I, I didn't know her deeply. I knew her through ministry events, but hearing the stories, hearing the sharing, it made me want to be a better person like Terry. I hope today you want to get better. As we study the scriptures, let's go to God in prayer and we'll open our hearts up to his word to help us get better. Father in heaven, thank you so much for this morning and this chance to be together to worship, to hear your word. Father, we want to get better. We want to become all the things you want us to become. Please be with us now. Open our hearts. Help our minds to comprehend the very message you would like us to understand. Help us to grow. Help us to see things from your perspective. Help us to evolve as people. Father, may the word influence us at this time. I pray in Jesus' name, amen. In Matthew chapter 18, in verse 3, it's a verse that impacted me in my earliest days of my journey in becoming a Christian. You know, I grew up in an atheist family, or my father was atheist, my mom was Lutheran, and she was really non-practicing, and there was really no religious upbringing in my culture. A little bit, my grandparents introduced me to some things. But I discarded it for success in American life. And so by the time I had uh, gotten to college, I was ready to plunge deep into the college experience. And I remember my freshman year at UCLA many years ago. I, you know, I thought I was pretty special going to UCLA. And I want to commend you if you got accepted. It's not easy to get in there. And I took pride in that. And I'm sad to admit a very arrogant way. I was proud of myself. Uh, humility was an area I needed a lot of growth in and God continues to teach me that lesson. But you know, by the time I got to my senior year, I was weighed down by all my ungodly prideful actions. I was tired of living in a flood of dissipated life, dissipated living, you know, uh, wasting things, drunkenness. Uh, living according to what the world says, try this, it'll make you happy. And I didn't find the happiness that I knew was available to me. And I wasn't sure where to find it, but I was definitely open-minded. And I was ready for a change. I was ready to get better. It took me to my senior year. College students, I would urge you, don't wait till the end of your senior year to make the changes that you need to make. I'm grateful I did make it at that time. I was uh, 23, I just turned 23, was just completing my degree, and I was invited out by a guy who was down on the beach, and he asked me this question. He said, hey, 
do you ever think about God? That was the only thing he said to me. He said, hey, do you ever think about God? And because I had been burdened by all this life I'd been living for four years in college and it, it didn't bring happiness, I was like, I have been thinking about God. Why do you ask? And he said, I got a Bible discussion at my house. It's down the street from here. And I was like, well, I live up the street. Where do you live? And I went that week to a Bible discussion. And at that Bible discussion, they read this verse. And I want to read it to you. In verse 18 of chapter 3, it says, Truly I tell you, unless you change and become like little children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. And they began a discussion of what change looks like and why we should change and how it's hard to change and why we resist change, but how crucial it is to our life. And I remember the conversation itself, I, I just hadn't had those kind of in-depth, honest talks about real issues of spiritual development in four years of college. And it impacted me, and I said, okay, I, I, there's something going on here. I want more of this. And I began to study the Bible. And subsequently took three to four weeks of deep, earnest Bible study, and it was the most transformational time of my entire life. You know... God wants us to change and get better. Happened to me the first initial stage of total transformation when I was a young graduating senior at UCLA. It was so transformational. My whole worldview transformed. But it wasn't a one-time change. Getting better is a lifetime change. Getting better is a lifetime endeavor. And I hope that you understand you can't stop changing. It's important to keep growing. As we talk about this trust issue, what we realize is trust is built when people see you change for the better. Ask husbands and wives this. If, if there's real changes going on, things get better. Ask uh, sons and daughters, roommates, friends. If you see progress, things improve, right? If we're really changing in your workplace, when your boss sees you improving, trust is then given. You, sometimes you get, you get promoted, right? Trust is built when we get better. And later in the message here at the end, I'm going to share the key to change, the key to getting better. But let me share a little story, uh, just an example. You know, one of the things I knew I needed to get better at, and I've been told for a long time, is just being a good listener. And I know Kenny did a great lesson. That was one of our lessons on building trust about uh, listen first. But I had the fairly common malady as a male of wanting to fix the women in my life instead of just listening when they came home frustrated by things, right? So you might relate to this. My daughter or my wife would come home and they would be frustrated with various things that happen in a dark and sinful world that we live in, right? Uh, craziness happens out there, right? All you have to do is get a job at any restaurant at any location and hang out there for a while. You'll see drama happening, right? We're human and we create drama. So you know, I learned this with my wife early on that I can't fix her. I've got to, she just needs me to listen. But I forgot the same rule applies to my daughter as well. And so she would come home from her, her job at Starbucks and she enjoyed working there, had built quite a good friendships, but there were some drama and difficulties that would happen. And she would come home frustrated and anxious. And I was like, oh boy, I got to fix her, right? I got to point out to her all the reasons that she's not quite seeing things right. How do you think that went? 
I'm not sure why men think this way. Like, we can fix you. There's no reason for you to be upset. If you just thought the way I thought, you'd have it all worked out. Now, you realize that God created women after men because he basically took all the good things in men, have it in the women, and then added even more and made them the complex creation, right? They're multifaceted. They actually know how to fix pretty much everything we think we know how to fix. They kind of already know. So they don't need us to tell them. My daughter, I, I have to confess, she said, you know, after I did this trying to fix her when she was frustrated, she's like, if you weren't my dad, I'd have a hard time being around you. I was like, oh, gosh, okay, I don't like that. But then I, I got better, okay? I want to share. This week, I got better. She came home from work because she, she's moving on in her you know, jobs and her life and her career, and she's got, she had put in her two weeks at the job. And uh, But she was a little sad. after It was her last day at the job, right, because she had friendships. She'd been there for a couple of years, and Lenore had helped first get her the job at Starbucks. And she liked working there, but she has other things. She's working in the film industry and wants to go to film school. So she got these plans. But she came home, and I saw on her face she was kind of teary-eyed. And, you know, and, and I wanted right away to, like, jump in. What's going on? And fix it. But then I just, I just didn't say anything. I just said, okay, honey, how are you? And she came over. She's kind of weepy. And she sat down and, and she said, you know, today was my last day. And I just hugged her. And I, I asked her, how are you feeling? And she just sat, she shared, she talked and she talked herself. I didn't say a thing. I just hugged her. And guess what? Uh, maybe seven minutes later, she had solved all the problems and was really happy. Got up, went on her day. And I was like, yes, yes. And I did ask her, it's okay if I share this. So she said, you can share whatever you want. We got to get better. You guys with me? We got to get better as people. We got to get better in life. It's part of our growth. And the bottom line is that God has a plan for each of you to get better. And I want you to look um, at the next verse I've got for us. And that is in... Matthew, we're going through the Sermon on the Mount, and if you've been with us for the past two weeks, we've been going through all kinds of verses on the Sermon on the Mount, most famous sermon of all that Jesus preached. And I like this one where he talks about growing in verse uh, 20 of Matthew chapter 5. He says, for I tell you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. So does Jesus want us to grow? Yes. He wants us to surpass. These were the religious leaders of that day. He's like, okay, I want you to go past that. I want, and that's because he wants us to think about righteousness in a completely new way. I loved what Tim preached a couple weeks ago about how, you know, blessed are the poor, the ones who are least deserving of any kind of blessing, those are the ones that get it. The ones who are least likely to think that they deserve any spiritual hope in life. That's exactly why Jesus came. And that's who gets it. It's this enormous grace that's mind-blowing in the way it works. But there's a call for transition and growth. And I hope you want to grow. I hope you don't feel satisfied at where you're at as a person. It's important to grow as individuals. But I want to go to Matthew chapter 7, verse 13, and read this one further. As we near the end of the Sermon on the Mount, and next week will be our final lesson on the built-on trust. And then later, uh, we're going to have a Sunday later in the month. I want to just give you a little taste of that. Uh, it's going to be completely devoted to worship and song and devotion. It's going to be a whole Sunday of worship. So that's going to be coming up in the middle of the month. But we're going to end our, our Built on Trust next week. Justin will close us out. And as our youngest preacher, we have him start the series and close the series. Sorry, Justin. That's, 
It's just how it falls. But thank you. You're up to the task. But in Matthew 7, we find a verse that I think relates to this challenge of getting better. And it says, enter through the narrow gate. For wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction. And many enter through it. But small is the gate and narrow the road that leads to life. And only a few find it. There's two roads. One's broad, one's narrow. The road of getting better is the narrow road. The road of getting better is the narrow road. It's not easy to change, is it? Our culture's resistant to change in many ways. It's a lot easier just to stay the same. I, my youngest son, he has this thing where he, he, he doesn't like to change things. You know, I don't know if you can relate to this. It's like wherever we are, that's where he wants to be. Hey, we're going to go here. No, I want to stay. Well, of course, when we get there, he loves it and doesn't want to leave. But he likes, he likes wherever I'm at, that's where I want to stay. I want to stay home. We're going to go here. No, I want to stay home. Then when we get there, hey, we're going to go, we're going to go home now. No, I want to stay here. Well, you like being home now. You want to stay. What's up? He's like, he likes stability. We're resistant to change. It's in our nature. But God is calling you to change, and change is narrow. It's difficult. It requires discipline. It takes focus. It takes consistency. Jesus said a disciple of his is like someone who goes into the storeroom and takes out old treasures of truth and how to live life, but also finds new treasures. Sometimes it's really hard for us to hold on to old treasures because our culture gets swept up in new, false, crazy thinking. And we get swept up in the culture. And so these roads, the broad road and the narrow road. I read a Bible theologian talk about this, and he said, sometimes we think that big, broad road is what you see, and the narrow road's off to the side, really on the edge. But that's not how it is. The narrow road is actually right in the middle of the broad road. It just runs in the opposite direction. It runs against the tide. You have to stand against the tide of popular opinion. When I was at UCLA, I joined a fraternity. My, I think it was my, late in my sophomore year, I joined a fraternity. And I enjoyed the crazy life of a fraternity guy, and I, I built some good friendships, still have friendships from that time. But it did not answer my biggest questions of life and develop purpose for my life or give me all the answers that I really wanted. Instead, what happened is when I finally decided to become a follower of Jesus, the tide of public opinion in my fraternity was really not for the things I was going to change. They liked the fact that I would regularly attend parties with them. I smoked a lot of marijuana. It wasn't legal back then. I'm here to confess. I did in college. And it was illegal, okay? And, uh, and I did it anyway. Unfortunately, uh, it's legal now. Or fortunately, I don't know. Maybe that is fortunate. But either way, I don't think it's probably a good idea to do what I was doing. And my friends didn't like that. I said, I'm not doing that anymore. Like, why not, man? It's so great hanging with you. You're funny. And I was in, in those environments. <laughs> I was funny. I said and thought funny things. But I was like, you know, this is Jesus wouldn't want me doing this. I'm not doing it. They were mad. My friends and I, we were just worldly in L.A. You know, the city of 
sex, drugs, and rock and roll, and I enjoyed all of it. I still enjoy rock and roll. And I enjoy sex, but I'm a married man. And only through marriage. But back then in my fraternity, marriage was not a part of the plan. Wasn't part of what it meant to be holy and godly. And so when I told him, I'm going to be pure until I get married. Totally pure. I'm only going to kiss the future wife. I'm going to just give her a little peck on the cheek or on the lips. That's it until we get married. My, my friends laughed at me. They said, you're never going to do that. No way. We know you. I had multiple friends call me and try to talk me out of it, explain to me their own theological reasons, and they tried to explain the meaning of the word sin and what it meant. I was like, guys, you're not even reading the Bible. Why are you trying to talk to me about this? I'm doing this. It was a narrow road. It was against the tide. And yet life opened up the greatest fulfillment I've ever seen through that. When we make hard decisions to change, we find life, right? That's what Jesus said. The narrow road leads to life. The road of getting better, of change, of transformation. It's the life that is truly life. And it's not a one-time decision. you got to make that decision all the time to get better. We can't stagnate. I know I don't look it, but I'm in my 50s. That was a joke. You got to keep getting better. 20s, 30s, 40s, 50s, 60s, 70s, 80s. Yes, 80s, 90s. Some of us are going to be 90. You're going to keep getting better at 90? I hope so. We can keep getting better. But it's a narrow road to do it. So let me give you the key to getting better. The key to getting better is making mistakes. The key to getting better is when you mess up. That's the power of, of Jesus and, and the message of the cross. The key to getting better is that you've totally messed up. I love that message. Right? When Jesus began his ministry, he said in Mark chapter 1, repent and believe the good news. Repent and believe the good news. Repent means to change. Getting better. Repent and believe that you can change, that you can be new. That's the power. You've got to be willing to make mistakes. Fall on your face. See the errors. Not do things right. You've got to be willing to put yourself out there. And this is the message. It's not about getting better means I'm already almost perfect and then I get a little bit, I get to get even more perfect. And a lot of times that's how we look at Christianity. And we're afraid. Some people, I've studied the Bible with many college students over the years. Hundreds. And one of the most common reasons, it's not only college students, but others as well. People in their 30s, sometimes in their 40s, sometimes in their 50s, sometimes in their 60s. You know what they say? I don't, I don't, I don't really think I want to be, become a follower of Jesus because I'm afraid I'll mess up. That's the exact reason you should become one. Because he, he knows you're going to mess up. That is why he went to the cross. Repent. You know, when he taught them to repent, that meant change the way you think about everything. And I'm here to tell you, disciples here on the west side, that message in Mark 1 that you read when you became a disciple is for you today. 
Think differently about things. Think differently about who you are and what you're going to be and how the church is going to be built. Think different about your life and your marriage. Repent and believe. It's good news. Transition. Growth. We've got to be people who want to get better. D. Hawk is the founder of Visa International. And um, here's a quote from him. He says, you learn nothing from your successes except to think too much of yourself. It is from failure that all growth comes. Provided you can recognize it, admit it, learn from it, rise above it, and then try again. Do you know the greatest basketball coach in the history of all basketball coaches is, of course, John Wooden. And he won 10 championships in 12 years. Probably never to be accomplished ever again. But you know he won zero championships for 17 years. There is no coach that would be around that long in our day and age. What have you done for me lately? Culture, unfortunately, we're in. But he ended up, through perseverance and getting better, winning 10 championships in 12 years. Unbelievable. But it took time. To really change, it does take time. It takes a year to get a year's experience. Okay, we got some new interns. We've got other college leaders. It takes a year to have a year as a leader because you have to be a leader for a year to get a year's experience. Don't, don't push it. You're, it's going to take time. Students, it takes time to grow. And anything we do, it takes time. But God's calling us to change. And I want us to, as we're going to go into communion in a moment here, and I want to read a verse. You know, repent equals change. means to get better. And I don't have this verse on the screen, but you can write it down or turn to it in your own Bible. But it's Hebrews 10, verse 14. Okay. One of my favorite verses, which is to me the pinnacle of the hope of the gospel. And Hebrews 10, verse 14 says, for by one sacrifice, he has made perfect forever those who are being made holy. What does that mean? It means the cross, him going to the cross, giving his life, shedding his blood, is how we are made perfect, is how we surpass the Pharisees. Understanding this infinite message of you're so sinful, you caused the Son of God to die. But you're so loved, he gave his very life for you. It's an infinite concept that we we got to each day meditate on. But he goes on in this verse, and the writer says, this sacrifice has made perfect forever who? Those who are being made holy, being transformed, getting better. You know, Jesus didn't condemn the woman caught in adultery. She was caught in the act of adultery, caught in it. In a religious culture, they grabbed her out and said, bring her to Jesus. See what he says about this. And they wanted to trap him. And, they, and, and he looked and he belt, knelt down on the ground. And he said, if any of you is without sin, you'd be the first to throw a stone. And, of course, all the older people were like, okay, <laughs> I know what he's at. I'm leaving. Right? The older ones left. At the end, it was just Jesus and the woman caught in adultery. And he looks at her. And he says, has, it, has no one condemned you? And she says, no one. He says, neither do I condemn you. But leave your life of sin. Jesus is the most accepting person ever. And we're a church, we want to be accepting, but we expect change. Jesus expects change. He calls us to change. He said to the woman, hey, I don't condemn you. 
but leave your life of sin. We can get better. The cross is the motivation to get better. It's an infinite gift of transformation. You just got to put yourself into it and be willing to make some mistakes. And here's the thing. Making mistakes is not something that we like to do. But you got to put yourself out there and be willing to do it in all kinds of areas of your life. And when you make mistakes, which you will every day, you pick yourself up and you keep moving. You know, sometimes we've got to try uh, to get better at things we're already good at. And other times you just got to try new things to help us grow spiritual things. And I want to thank all of you in the church and all the gifts that we have here and all the servant, all the effort we put in here. Uh, I'm so encouraged by the work that goes on to put on these worship services. So if you people at home can listen to us and, and hear us and we have live stream and it's the new age, right? Thank you for all of the effort and time and talent that goes into making this thing happen. Amen. Thank you guys. But you have a role to play, whether it's here on a Sunday or another time, or God has a plan for you to change this world. But it has something to do with you getting better. So I want to give you a couple little live examples of getting better, just simple little things. The first point is something you already know how to do, you got to get better at. So I have played a little volleyball, not professionally or not even, you know, collegiately, but I, I play on the beach occasionally, right? And when I was at UCLA, I played a lot of beach volleyball. And I had a few guys teach me how to set a volleyball. But I've never had a former D1 player who, who coaches on various levels uh, teach me. So, Kenny, where are you at, buddy? Come on up. He's going to teach me. I know how, but he's going to help me get better. So here we go. A quick example of, of uh, getting better at something. And then I'm going to show you an example of doing something you've never done. Alrighty. What do you want me to teach you? How to set? Okay. Well, put your hands up. You got to bend your knees. A little bit more than that. Yeah, that's probably better. So your hands are up. So you don't want your hands to be right here because if the ball comes straight, then you can't go up. So you want to you want to angle it a little bit higher. Yeah, you don't want to put them all the way together because there's no space for the ball. So you got to separate just a little bit. So that the ball, you can engulf the ball in your hand, right? Okay. And remember, you're not just using your fingers, you're using your, your hand. So I don't know if that makes sense. Okay. So then your elbows, uh, a little bit out uh, wider. Yeah. So let's try that and let's see where this goes. All right, ready? Can you move over this way a little bit? Oh, I can hold it. All right, ready? Okay. So I'm going to toss it, and then you want to get it right on top of my head. Not over there, not over there, not behind me. Okay, ready? Oh, that's not bad. It's not bad. All right. You can you can hold it. It's a beach ball, so you can hold it for just a little bit longer, and it will give you more control so it doesn't spin. Can try again. Yeah, that's good. That's really good. Nice job. Okay, got to get better at stuff you've done before. I've done that before, but I never had coaching, so now I know. I keep those elbows up. I learned a little bit. Okay, where's Albert? Something I've never done... I've never played the bass guitar. I don't think I've even touched the bass guitar. So Albert's going to teach me how to play a note on a bass guitar. All right, Albert, come on. And see, I want the older folks here to realize that we can learn from the younger as well. We get better by learning. Whether you're young or old, you can learn. All right. 
Do I get to take this off too? Okay. Alrighty. Oh, sorry. Uh, Wish I could sing. That's my necklace. That's good. We can get Maria or something like that to come up and teach you. Uh, okay. So what you have is an electric bass. Super fun. This is Cherry. I love her. Um, so what you're first going to do is you're going to turn up the volume. Okay. And now you're on. Okay. Okay. I like it. I like so what we have is four strings, E, A, D, and G. Okay. And I'm going to teach you how to play a G note. A G note. All right. I like that. So you're going to put your first finger, which okay. is your pointer finger, okay. on the third fret of the right first there. string. Okay. Right there. Just one finger. Now pluck. He's a bass player. He did it, guys. Okay. All right, so now the next one. This one's a little tougher. You're going to use your pinky, and you're going to put it on the fifth fret of the first string. While I'm holding this, let it No, go. just let go. Okay, this one right here. There you go. Just the pinky. He's a bass player. So I can go. So I can go. Third. Go. There you go. And so what you want to do, if you're truly going to be a bass player, is you're not going to use your thumb, okay, but you're going to use your two fingers, oh. your index and your A little bit better, you're okay. going to put some pressure on it. Listen to that. Oh, my gosh. All right. All right. My first slide. That's a C note. That's an A note. A note. Okay. That's G and A. G and A. G and A. Got it. You got it. We all can grow. You got to try new things to grow. You got to put yourself out there to grow at every age. At every stage, we got to get better. So as a congregation, what we like to do during communion is communion means to remember what Jesus did for us and understand that what he's done creates a community. It bonds us. So instead of just take the, the, the bread that reminds us of the body given and the, and, the, and the fruit of the vine that reminds us of the blood, before we take that, we like to have a little discussion because we want to communicate a little bit and connect. So for five minutes, I want you to just... Talk to one or two people near you, a couple people, sort of a little group, two or three, and answer this question for five minutes. How can you get better, and how does the cross help you not fear failure? How can you get better, and how does the cross help you not fear failure? Okay, guys, we're going to take communion. If you need communion uh, elements, you can raise your hand and our ushers will bring those out to you if you don't have them yet. Okay, let's go to God in prayer and thank him for his son. Father in heaven, thank you so much for just the privilege of being here today. We want to get better. And we know your son giving his life, his uh, sacrificing his body, gave us an example of self-denial. And we're inspired by him as our hero. Thank you uh, for his blood shed. Lord, thank you so much for the hope we get to be new, to be made holy and somehow looked at and, and, and loved and accepted by you. Uh, help us to understand that and be so grateful for the second chance that we get each day that we remember what you've done for us. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You've just listened to the West Side Podcast. For more information about our ministry, please visit thewestsidechurch.com or laicc.net.